0: Morning, glory, and evening, grace, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is that time of the week that many of you have come to love, the Hillsdale Dialogues with Dr. Larry Arnn or one of his colleagues from Hillsdale College in Michigan. You can learn all about the college at hillsdale.edu. You can capture via podcast every one of these conversations we've had about the great books of the West by going to hughforhillsdale.com, H-U-G-H-F-O-R, hughforhillsdale.com, Or if you just go to hillsdale.edu and poke around and register, it's all completely free. You'll find yourself swimming in the greatest online courses on the Constitution, on the progressives, on Western civilization, on American history, and indeed these dialogues. Everything you need to be an educated person is there. Ordinarily with Dr. Larry Arn, I begin the first segment of our time together in the Hour of Hillsdale talking about current events. But today we are doing something, and next week, that is a little bit more difficult than we ordinarily do. We're going to cover the New Testament, and I doubt there's anything more freighted with peril for us than these two weeks of conversation, because so many people bring so much to the table. In three weeks, Dr. Arn, we'll be talking about Herodotus. We could say that he juggled with clowns, and very few people could contradict us. But as we talk about the New Testament, and especially about the Gospels, everyone pulls up their chair, and they wish to hear what Larry Arn's heresies would be. Yeah.
1: Well, I just want to repudiate the idea that Jesus juggled with clowns.
0: <laughs> that was Herodotus. <laughs> <laughs> there, you've sa- you're you safe. Well, how- Why don't you tell people a little bit about how the college approaches sacred text, uh, especially something so sacred as to have built the West?
1: Well, our, our college is fundamentally committed to Christianity, and so we, you know, always has been. You know, so, so so far as we're strong enough and God grants, always will be. Uh, so we approach them as sacred, but also we approach them as things to be understood. The goods of the college that it has said in its 1844 founding document to seek are civil and religious freedom and intelligent piety. And so intelligent piety is piety that's smart, that knows things as they are, as best as one can. So we try to understand them. What do they say? And uh, you know that's the, in, in reading any great book. I love to say this, and I get uh, kids get tired, here get tired of me saying it. But the first thing to know about any great book is what does it say? You know, and it's it's full of a lifetime. A great book, uh, you can spend a lifetime on it and not penetrate its depths. But the first step is what does it say? And so we start out with that. And uh, you know, the New Testament is richly rewarding if you start with that
0: question you know and it's always rewarding because you sent me some notes for the conversation this weekend next you sent me a line from hebrews 12 18 to 29 i don't think i've ever read it i don't think i've you know i've been reading scripture and hearing scripture read for 56 years and don't think i've ever come across this and so it's endlessly uh new if you pay attention
1: yeah yeah and I'm looking for it now to see what it was, because I've forgotten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that, a, isn't
0: that a beautiful thing? Well, go ahead. We'll go out of line here. Tell people about that. That's from Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews.
1: Well, for, for, uh, so the Apostle Paul, is, who writes most of the letters, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, New Testament is divided into the Gospels and the letters, and, uh, and maybe Acts and Revelation are separate things. So Paul is writing to the Hebrews, and he's working out something about uh, about what's happening to the law and to the Jewish way since the Messiah has come. And in Hebrews twelve eighteen to twenty nine, he writes this. I guess it's worth reading. I, I love it myself. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet. And a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word, word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come, and see, in other words, you've not come to that awesome thing, which is awesome. You have come to Mount Zion there, there are beautiful things in Paul, although he's a cranky old goat. So often, um, but what's so beautiful about that is the, the the mightiness and awesomeness of Mount Sinai and Moses going up there to get the law is an is, is an overwhelming thing, and this is more than that.
0: And that is that's quite a way to begin because the Gospels begin quietly. In some respects, meekly or genealogically, in other respects, they—they—they're not that. They're not Mount uh, Zion. They're not the the uh, the law giving. And so, when you begin to read the Gospels with the students at Hillsdale, how do they do they sit there and read all four of them and come back then and talk about them?
1: Oh yeah, of course, and uh, everything's done that way here. And the Gospels, see, you, you said genealogically, and the first, you know, the first thing to know about. Uh, about the New Testament is it seeks to locate itself in a tradition while it, while it claims to make a complete revolution in all the affairs of man. And so the generations that are given at the opening of the book of Matthew, the opening of the New Testament, those tie Jesus to the same lineage as David. And the kings that are mentioned Especially Hezekiah and Josiah, in the lineage of Jesus, tend to be the good kings, the ones who restored um, um, the, the the Israelites to the law and the service of the Lord and won back their prosperity and so Jesus is 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 put forward from the beginning as the successor to all of that and the fulfillment of all of that. And that is the argument uh, at the beginning of the Gospels, uh, made episodically through the Gospels, and it is very much the burden of the argument of the Apostle Paul. Uh,
0: the historicity of of the New Testament has been much debated since the German school arose a few decades back and flowered in its time. But I think it stood that test fairly well.
1: Oh yeah. Well, we, kn- we know we know there was a fellow Pilate, and uh, and so. It's, it's located, you know, it, it's, it's not like, uh, it, it, you know, if you read you know the story of Noah, uh, Harvard University didn't have a history department yet. And so, you know, and even Oxford and Cambridge and the University of Paris and Bologna, we're not really recording everything quite yet. Well, the, the New Testament is much more modern. It's in the time of Rome. And so there's a lot of Roman history And there's a continuity. A lot's lost, too. So we don't know everything, but what we know, uh, like, for example, it is the latest view. I've had the privilege with Sir Martin Gilbert to walk around Jerusalem a lot in my life. And if you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, In one way, it's a big old mess of a place because there's like four churches there that compete with each other and even shout over each other having services, and every little piece of real estate inside that huge church is marked out for one of them. And so that's kind of a mess. But the best evidence is uh, the wife of Constantine, the mother of Constantine, uh, Helen, Helena, got it right. That is where all that stuff happened, and it probably did happen, let's say.
0: Uh, there are steps that one walks down that are the steps that Jesus would have uh, walked during his passion from the garden or to his captivity and all of that. But when you sit down with your students and you ask them to read, do you ask them to read as history or as I- inspired scripture?
1: Well, that's not the right. You know, I, that, that's not the question you start with. The first thing you do is read. <laughs> you know, and and uh, we're here to learn. Right. And what we have before us is some some writing, and it's it's not the student's way to make up his mind before he starts. Let it talk to you. And you know, by the way, when they come here, the overwhelming majority of them have read the Bible extensively, and they read it eagerly every day, almost everybody here. And so it's not unfamiliar to them. Our business is to teach them what it is to read a thing and let it talk to you.
0: When we come back after break, we're going to start reading the Gospels, and that's our objective today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with Dr. Larry Arne. He's president of Hillsdale College. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. I encourage all of you, these podcasts are made available every single week in their entirety for free from Hillsdale, and they are collected. So if you walked into the middle of this and you say, wow, that's on the radio and that's different— you can go back to our very first conversation. Our very first one was about the Iliad. And, uh, and all that have come since are available at hughforhillsdale.com or at hillsdale.edu, as are all of their other free course offerings. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 21 minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on the Hour of Hillsdale. Welcome, Dr. Larry Arnn, my guest this week, president of Hillsdale College. Most weeks he joins me. Sometimes one of his colleagues does. We have been for many weeks now going through the various parts of Holy Scripture because it is part of the Western canon. And we are today going to cover four segments devoted to the Gospels. And Larry Art I'm, I'm the most familiar of the books that we will discuss may be the hardest for me to figure out how to approach because everyone is listening closely to how you uh, address this. I'm just going to give you the floor and let you lecture for a few minutes on how one ought to read the Gospels
1: Well the, the you know the word gospel means good news here's some news, right It's kind of like a newspaper report it uh, you know it's except Good news. You're true. <laughs> um, so, these are a bunch of things that happened. Here's this man. He was born a very unusual way, unique. Uh, I, by the way, both unique and impossible, and yet it happened. And uh, and these are the parents, and this is how he grew up, and and uh, and you know, and this is what he did, and uh, that's so. It's a story. And he met these fellows and he called them and he went around for about three years when he was you know, starting out when he was thirty, I think, and he um and he went around and preached and teached and taught, preached and taught, and cured people and worked various miracles. He emerges as a very radical man. Um he says very radical things, and, the, uh, and, and they, they mean that if they're not true, he was a lunatic. Uh, one of C.S. Lewis's proofs, uh, one of the reasons he is, not quite a proof, but one of the reasons he believes the claims of Jesus is that no one who met Jesus regarded him as a simple fool or a lunatic. He was taken very seriously by everybody, his enemies, who were very many, and his friends. Something going on there that was awesome. When he would open his mouth, there are several settings where he is in a synagogue where learned people hold forth about the meaning of the law and the prophets and the writings. And when he opens his mouth, it's a different kind of thing, and people are... Agog with it, they don't know what to do. They they can't account for it. So he's an incredibly impressive man, and he goes around saying that he is God. And so this startling, this uh, unprecedented, and and you know mark the point. This is very different than the awesomeness like that passage from Hebrews. This is very different than the awesomeness of Moses, which is a very awesome thing. And this is very different than the awesomeness of Muhammad, that is a very awesome thing. His claim is that he is God incarnate, and with a, a fellow with a mother and a father, and uh, a death that becomes a very important part of the story. And he goes around saying that he is God. And that is not taken as, uh, you know, sit him down in the corner and throw... Uh, a shilling in his cup, poor fool, That's that's a grave blasphemy. And it amounts to something more than the claim that he is the prophet, you know, the Messiah. One reading of what the Messiah is is that it's a prophet and a leader come back to restore the nation of Israel. He seems to claim more than that. And by the way, on that specific hope, that he will restore the nation of Israel in authority over Jerusalem and its environs, he proves to be completely disappointing. And so it's just very difficult to figure out what to make of this. And uh, and so it, 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 you're forced to choose between two things that are terribly implausible. And one of them is that, that this... Uh, this fella was the son of God and was resurrected after he was born to a virgin, was, uh, was, re- was crucified cruelly and publicly, and then resurrected. You have to believe that, uh, or else you have to believe that all of the testimony that's recorded in the Gospels, and in the letters too, and in whatever else we have about it from various sources, Uh, everybody has been duped by this guy for 2,000 years now. You you talked about the retirement of Benedict in a previous show, and that very intelligent man has been led astray and all of his predecessors in the grossest way by this fellow. And so it just seems to me, extremely unlikely that either of those things would happen. (laughs)
0: So you have to choose between them. What's interesting as well is that you are with students of the age where many who have grown up with the scriptures put them aside and reject them and, well, many who have never touched them come into contact with them and believe them. There's something about the age... A little bit younger and a little bit older, surrounding college, that people decide these things. Are you aware of that at the college that this is the age in which they decide these things?
1: Oh yeah, and and see because you know it's uh what well, you know first of all we do something you know that's formidable and carries an enormous responsibility. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. Uh, what I often have conversations like this. As I like to say, I become an excellent judge of parent flesh <laughs> because because I I meet a lot of parents and they want to know you know what they want to know is they want to know if if I and the college are going to be good for their child and uh, and uh, I once had a lady lined up five bright homeschool kids some of them students in our college right now and they were all high school kids at the time and she said are you going to reinforce what we've taught our children and I replied to her shock oh no ma'am that's not what we do and she said what you do and I said well they're going to become learned and that means that's partly a process of destruction they have to learn to look at things anew and more deeply they have to let these things talk to them and find out on what level they make sense and Young people do that, right? And, you know, my my father, uh, a, a high school teacher, remains a very influential man with me. And it's not so much because of things he, you know, lectured me about, it, although that happened. It's more about how he lived and the moral universe in which he lived and the religious, you know, Christian universe in which he lived. And, you know, he was not a perfect Christian, nor am I. But it was a very serious thing to him. Well I had to work out the arguments myself about giving an account of it all. I, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things, that he, his favorite things that I ever said, I used to say it to him a lot because he liked it so much, As I said, well dad, I spent a lot of years learning complication, complicated reasons why you were right. And he just loved that. But on the other hand, that wasn't exactly what I was doing. Hmm. I wasn't trying to prove that my father was right. I was trying to find out what is right,
0: and I'm still trying to find that out. We'll come back and continue to talk about what is right in the Gospels, all of it, when we return to the Hillsdale Dialogues on the Hugh Hewitt Show. 34 minutes after the Hour American Hugh Hewitt, joined by Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College. Dr. R and I have had many conversations over the years on these Gospels with a lot of people who don't believe them. My old friend Hitch and, and people like Robert Wright of the New Republic and uh, Michael Shermer of the Skeptic magazine. They're all collecting a book called Talking with Pagans, and I've hosted debates. But the most memorable conversation I had was with Richard Dawkins, mm-hmm. an evolutionary scientist, who discovered in the course of the conversation with me that I was a believer that I believed in this. And he, he was shocked. He said, you really believe this? And I said, yes, you believe. And he can, he can summon up at that point, any miracle he wants to put on the table. And he said, you really believe that Jesus changed water into wine? And I said, yes. And bigger things than that. And he said, really water into wine. He said, now I know what I'm dealing with. And it's, it's, it was striking to me that that was the miracle that he thought most, um, Illustrative of the irrationality of Christianity, you mentioned miracles. There are many books on the miracles. How do you teach your students who are very serious about science? Hillsdale is a very great scientific undertaking in its education about miracles.
1: Well, first of all, I, I, Mr. Dawkins, I, you know, he, isn't he in Oxford, right? Yes. And, uh, so he probably knows how wine is made. That is actually how it's made. So what the miracles are is. Uh, they, they alter, most of them, alter processes that are going on in nature anyway, right? So, yeah, you can't do that. You know, you couldn't, we, you and I couldn't do that, but winemakers do it. <laughs> so, so it's not, you know, it's, it's not, uh, the miracles are, you know, the, the loaves and the fishes, right? You know, a few grains of seed and and are, are turned in you know and a few when fishes procreate they're turned into multitudes and you know how does that come to be and by the way dawkins explanation of all that first of all i, as I understand the man and i've read a little bit by him he claims to know how it all started yes right, and know that god did not have an agency in it and that's just foolish Right. That's just dog yes. foolish. Because you you can you can if you could prove it and it isn't proved, I believe that the most plausible explanation of the formation of the of the of the universe is the evolutionary one. Uh it's you know, it's what science has and it seems to be right. But that doesn't have anything to do with the price of bread because how do you know that's not just how God did it? And you know, the cosmology of the Big Bang Theory uh, it always starts with, it starts with some lump of something very, very dense and it explodes and you know, it does look like, if you look at telescopes apparently it does look like that all the stuff you can see in the universe is moving very fast away from a central point and that is apparently an observed phenomenon in science, right? but where did that lump come from? and you know, so the point is it It doesn't have anything to do with it, and Dawkins seems unable to understand that
0: well oh, he does he the idea of a point in time in which God intervenes to resurrect the world through his son she just he doesn't buy into an understanding which is perfectly obvious to me, but to some. It's not given. I, 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 let's go back to the person of Jesus now. Uh, when we read books, we, we take away an assessment of character. We take away an assessment uh, of the nature of their courage and of their other virtues. What is it uh, about Jesus that your students and you walk away with? Not the divine side, but of the character of the man.
1: Well, uh, one thinks of him as kind, but that's not exactly what he is. Uh, he's kind of fierce. Um, he's troubled, he feels the tragedy of the things around him, but also he's uncompromising. Um, You know, the the effect of the New Testament on morality, for example, is it strengthens the morality of the family. Uh, uh, Divorce is frowned upon uh, much more uh, firmly than under the Jewish law, for example, and there are many things like that throughout the throughout the book, and one cannot but understand that as a definite intention of the New Testament, to alter that and make it firmer. Now, on the other hand, I will turn, you know, father against son and mother against daughter. There's nothing that can be put first ahead of Jesus. We
0: come back Here's from break. We'll, about that. we'll talk more about that. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. The Hillsdale Dialogues this week about the New Testament, the gospel, specifically here on The Hugh Hewitt Show. 44 minutes after the hour, America's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogues this week with Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College. And they are all available at Hugh for Hillsdale. They, uh, all of the great offerings of Hillsdale College are available at hillsdale.edu. Where you can go and improve your mind and your life every single week by taking something that the college is throwing at you from the very best teacher, uh, teachers available in the United States and making it very, very easy to access. These podcasts are conversations about the canon, the great works of the West, and we are this week in the Gospels, and people have been reading the Gospels forever, so we don't have to so much as describe as to reflect on a few things. And we were reflecting on the person of Jesus when we went to break, Dr. Arne, and I want to pick up there because then it gets really the the heart and the soul of people as they read the gospels who is this this man who is this god and what does he want to convey
1: it uh you know he he simplifies his teaching um and it's it's not very hard to to name the things that make up the uh the the teaching of jesus and, and and they're pretty short um Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy might and all thy strength and thy neighbor as thyself. Um, do unto the others as you would have them do unto you, which is more than don't do anybody any harm and do justice, right? Because we don't really always want justice for ourselves. We'd like to have better than that. So it's a, there's a morality in it, and it is a morality of... Equality of moral upright and of love, and God is love, um, and so Jesus preaches that very powerfully, and and often you know it's a it's the, the Christian the the teaching of Christ uh, looks to, reads to me like a comfort and a challenge always the same time and it's very difficult to have the one it's very difficult to keep one of those two things before your mind without the other because they're both wrapped up with each other right it uh he says uh every time he says uh you know you get forgiveness he says you got to forgive uh every time he says you're going to be taken care of you know there's those wonderful comfort comforting passages in the gospels uh you know, if God uh, takes, uh, knows, the, knows the numbers of the hairs on your head, and uh, you don't have to worry about anything, uh, um, everything's going to be taken care of. Um, the lilies of the field are more splendid than the raiments of Solomon. I think I'm getting that right. And, uh, and, and so everything is taken care of for you, and yet you should value nothing except one thing. And so that's the way of it. That's what he was like. He was very demanding. And uh, his love for his closest companions, the apostles, is manifest and deep. And on the other hand, he's stern with them, especially Peter, who's always messing up. And uh, um, so he was a galvanizing figure.
0: I want to talk just a minute about his courage. Next week when we do Paul, we'll talk a lot about courage. But uh, Jesus is not often discussed that way. But I'm looking at Matthew 26 as he goes into the garden on on the night that he is arrested. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And, of course. The apostles don't and they run away, and all that good stuff happens, but first they go to sleep first they go <laughs> I'm overwhelmed to the point of sorrow to the point of death, and he just he knew what was coming and he stared it in the face and Courage is not often talked about in the context of christ but of, but that is really the central to his story
1: yeah i i don't uh, I don't like that uh Mel Gibson movie very much, The Passion of the Christ. I have a reason for that but um, but i i do admire many, in general, I salute him for it, I guess I'd say, but uh, in the beginning in the garden, it's very good, because it's a tremendous de- depiction of the misery of the man. He doesn't want to do this. It's going to hurt, and to be uh, defamed in this way is uh, a terrible fate for anyone but someone who claims to be what he is, right? And so... If he's a fraud, as I say, it's it's hard to think of him as a fraud because he wasn't taken as a fraud by anybody, at least not as any kind of a light fraud. But he's got now to stoop to this thing, and he chooses it. And he does pray, if there's a way, let's not do this. But I know there isn't a way. So it is a courageous act, of
0: course. So what would... What is it that gave rise, you were a student of English history, and we just talked about this terrible suffering he has to do, and many English saints of both Protestant and Catholic denomination ended up suffering terrible trials as they put rack and ruin to each of them in turn, depending on who was on the throne, that no one ever gave pause to say this is not what he was about?
1: Well, we're all human, and... um. um you know, my my view is uh, a great teaching came into the world more clearly with the birth of America than before. And uh, but, uh, but before I, and that teaching is you ought not to be hurting anything if they believe in any kind of a decent religion, and the and the and the definition of decent is wide. Just has to obey the moral law. Um, but before that, of course. Any great thing and the greater it is, the more like the the more possible it is for this to happen, can be taken by human beings and distorted and made into a cause of harm and so of course, the people who boiled people in oil and flayed them alive and all that they were saving souls, and that is by the way the the motive for the killing of jesus um, so yeah. It's uh, we humans are, you know that great book by Michael Charr about the Civil War, the the uh,
0: Fallen Angels, the Killer, killer Angels, angels yeah.
1: called right, and the the phrase that gives rise to the title of the book is, uh, um, somebody says to somebody, well, you know, we're like the angels, and then the reply is, well, we're a very killing kind
0: of angel, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Larry arn as always, a pleasure. We come back next week, and we will be talking about. Paul and Revelation for an entire hour as we conclude our five-week study of scripture and then on to Herodotus the following week. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll wrap up today's Hugh Hewitt show after this.